My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking all about leaky gut syndrome. Leaky gut is something that I see a lot in my practice. It's something that I've experienced myself, and research shows that there is a strong connection between leaky gut and many different disease states, such as PCOS, diabetes, irritable bowel syndrome, autism, and autoimmune disease. Leaky gut is known as intestinal permeability, and it's basically a condition where the lining of the intestine becomes more permeable. So you can think of that kind of like a fishing net. So think of your gut lining as a fishing net, and if you were to get a rip in that fishing net, you're going to allow particles to pass through it. It's the same with your gut. If you have a more permeable gut lining, that's going to allow for undigested food particles, toxins, and bacteria to move into the bloodstream where they shouldn't be. And this is an issue because this can cause inflammation to the gut lining and damage, but it can also evoke an immune response from the body. And that's where autoimmune disease comes in. We have this layer of our gut, the lamina propria of the intestinal walls, and it it is home to a number of different immune cells, T-cells, B-cells, macrophages, and dendritic cells. So what are the symptoms of leaky gut? And there are many, and there's also a lot of crossover between leaky gut and other conditions that might feel very similar. Food sensitivities is a really big one. I've talked about food sensitivity testing in other episodes and how there's really not a lot of research to support its use in clinical practice, and I don't personally use it as a first test for a client to choose because oftentimes leaky gut can be the reason why you have all these food sensitivities. So if you think of, for example, a protein, let's say gluten, in the gut, And then let's say you have leaky gut and that protein moves from the gut into the blood. And then you take this food sensitivity test and it says you've got all these food sensitivities. By cutting all of these foods out, you're not necessarily treating the root cause of the food sensitivity, which could be intestinal permeability. So if you've noticed that you're becoming overly sensitive to all these new foods, carrots, and you all of a sudden can't eat broccoli and you can't eat chicken anymore, eggs, egg whites, very common food sensitivity, then it could be that you have leaky gut. So if somebody comes to me with a food sensitivity test that is a whole list of all the things that they're not supposed to eat, I'm always going to be looking for leaky gut. Other symptoms include bloating, gas, constipation, and diarrhea, skin issues like psoriasis, eczema, rashes, acne, Thyroid dysfunction, this is a big one, especially with having an immune response, Hashimoto's and leaky gut, there's a strong connection there. Joint pain and inflammation, brain fog, fatigue, 
And as I mentioned, autoimmune disease can be connected to this, whether it is a symptom or a root cause is a little bit more complicated to kind of parse through. So research suggests that intestinal permeability may play a role in health and disease. There was a systematic review that was published in 2019 in the Advances in Integrative Medicine, and it found that intestinal permeability had a strong association with autoimmune disease, liver conditions, diabetes, PCOS, irritable bowel syndrome, and autism. Now, the disease severity, in addition to clinical symptoms of menstrual disorders, food allergy, or hypersensitivity, directly correlated with intestinal permeability. So when we understand the autoimmune side of things, an autoimmune disease is when the immune system produces these autoantibodies against self-antigens, which causes an assault on our body's tissue. So it makes sense that we would see an association of autoimmune disease and leaky gut because these pathogens are basically leaking into the body and they shouldn't be there. So leaky gut can really play a huge role with autoimmune disease. So what are some things that cause leaky gut? A big one is stress. And I I really want to put this one first because just being chronically stressed, having high levels of cortisol can absolutely damage the gut lining. So if you're doing all the things right, you're eating well, you're not over-exercising, you're sleeping, then stress needs to be part of that, that plan because stress can absolutely cause leaky gut. And a good example of this is if you look at marathon runners, there was a research study that I had looked at on the impact of marathon runners or intense exercise on intestinal permeability. And even just short-term exercise can cause an increase in permeability. And this makes sense because intense exercise is a high physical stress on the body. With that type of scenario, when the stressor is very obvious and the individual then goes on to rest and refuel, we would see this intestinal permeability heal itself in a healthy, balanced scenario. But when we have mental stress too, that can also take a toll on our immune system and, like I said, raise those cortisol levels, which can damage the gut lining. So mental and physical stress are two big offenders that can slow down repair of our digestive tract. We also see reduced blood flow to digestive organs. So that's another reason why you can see reduced ability to heal. And over time, you know, maybe if we pull in that example of exercise, if you're chronically doing high intense exercise or you're chronically stressed all the time, your blood is not going to your gut. You're not in that rest and digest state. And this is why we always talk about, you know, before you eat, really try to take the time to sit down, take a few deep breaths, chew your food, because your body needs to know where to put that effort into making sure that you're properly healing and providing blood flow to the areas that need it. Certain gut infections, things like SIBO, parasites, candida, these can all loosen 
or cause inflammation in the gut lining. Candida especially, this can actually cause collapse of our brush border epithelium lining. Things like Salmonella, Giardia, H. pylori, Blastocyst hominids, Shigella. These are other pathogenic microbes that can disrupt the gut lining. And this is why I really love using comprehensive stool testing at our practice because it can tell us the entire picture, right? If you just do a candida test or you just do a SIBO test, we could be missing other things that are causing us to be more susceptible to leaky gut. The second one is dietary, environmental contaminants, toxins, things like pesticides, heavy metals. These can all damage the gut lining. There are no way that we will ever live in an environment where we consume no heavy metals or no toxins or are not exposed to any toxins. We can't just live in a bubble, right? It's not realistic and you shouldn't try to do that because that can actually cause more anxiety about this type of thing. But there are simple swaps that I typically recommend making to reduce things like heavy metals. So choosing protein powders that have been lab tested that are lower in heavy metals, always asking them for their certificate of analysis so that you can be an educated consumer. Choosing White rice versus brown, if you eat a lot of rice or washing your rice before cooking it can really help to limit arsenic. Um, So things like that that can really help us just put less stress into our gut, our digestive system, so that we aren't setting ourselves up for leaky gut. And then we have overuse of antibiotics. So research shows that antibiotic use significantly alters the balance of beneficial and opportunistic bacteria in the gut because those antibiotics, unfortunately, don't just go in there and kill off the bad guys. They kill off those beneficial bacteria as well. So, of course, you're going to have to use antibiotics when it's medically necessary, but if you're using antibiotics for, you know, UTIs all the time or ear infections that are really related to something deeper, it's time to stop using the antibiotics as a crutch, knowing that that can actually just create a cascade of other health issues down the road. Other medications, supplements, things like NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, these are like dropping a bomb on the gut. And that's why you'll see a warning on the label that these Over-the-counter medications can cause gastrointestinal bleeding. They really, really destroy your gut. So if you're using them, I really would encourage you to, again, think of root cause. If you're using it for headaches or pain, maybe there's something going on that, you know, we could dig a little bit deeper. But if not, you know, if you really need the support, there's things like curcumin, which has been greatly researched. I did my thesis on turmeric and curcumin. Uh, Great anti-inflammatory benefits. I always keep it in my cabinet as a replacement for an NSAID when I need it. I also love using CBD oil. That's been a game changer for me. For a lot of my clients or customers, they have found it's really helpful for headaches, especially related to PMS and PMDD symptoms. So There's other options of things to manage pain or control these different symptoms and alternatives to the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. There is some research that using hormonal contraceptives like birth control can alter the balance of bacteria in the gut. 
especially favoring the overgrowth of yeast. So birth control or oral contraceptives can shift those bacteria in a way that maybe leads to overgrowth of certain bacteria like candida, which can cause leaky gut. And they have also been shown in a small research study to increase the risk of inflammatory bowel disease. So not to say that these are causes, the, the birth control or oral contraceptives are causes, but there's definitely an association. And when I work with clients, we really try to make sure that when we're using oral contraceptives to manage a hormone imbalance, if a woman is in her menstruating years, for example, then we want to find the root cause. If you're using it strictly for birth control, that's a different story, right? We need that birth control. If you don't want to conceive, then that's something that we just try to manage and understand that there's other things that we can do to support the body. And then of course, diet, which I'm sure is no surprise to anyone, but having a really poor diet, a diet high in processed foods, refined sugars, high omega-6 fat intake, so not getting enough of those omega-3s, all have been shown to create a more inflammatory environment in the body. In addition to that, balancing blood sugar, so it's not just what you eat, but when you eat and how you're eating. So if you're fasting for long periods of time, if you're skipping meals, if you're missing key components to your meal, like fibers, fats, protein, then that is going to set you up for blood sugar imbalances, which can really cause a lot of stress on the body. And I think it's something we don't talk enough about. So those are just some of the contributors to putting you at higher risk for leaky gut. So let's say you suspect that you have leaky gut or you're just curious about your intestinal permeability. There are some tests that you can use to determine this. Now, there's no one single test that's going to, I guess, air quotes, diagnose you with leaky gut. A number of tests can just help identify direct and indirect signs of leaky gut, but there's no single test that will give you an absolute answer. So I'm going to start with the one that I use, which is a comprehensive PCR DNA stool analysis, the GI map, and it tests for a protein called zonulin. What happens is, is that when zonulin is present, zonulin is associated with increased intestinal permeability. So high levels of zonulin would be a sign of intestinal permeability, but again, doesn't diagnose it. But what I love about the GI map is that it also looks at other things in the gut, like yeast, parasites, immune function in the gut balance of opportunistic versus normal bacteria. So it gives you the whole whole picture, really. The other test that researchers commonly use is the lactulose mannitol urine test. And this is a test to assess intestinal permeability. It's not standardized for clinical practice, and it's not widely used by providers. But the way that it works is that you would drink a solution of these two sugars, the lactulose and mannitol. Lactulose is the larger molecule. Mannitol is the smaller particle. And a healthy gut would pass the small particle, the small molecule, into the blood to be excreted by the kidneys. The larger molecule, lactulose, would stay in the gut if the individual was healthy and had a healthy gut lining. 
So if you detect lactulose in the urine, that means that that was able to pass from the gut into the blood and then the urine. So that is one. Um, I don't ever use that in my practice, but it is one that is recognized. Other tests that can be used include things like methane or hydrogen breath tests, looking at SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, looking at food intolerances. As I mentioned, if a patient shows up in my office with a host of different food sensitivities, oftentimes we are checking gut permeability to see if there's a correlation there. So how do we heal leaky gut? Finding the root cause of leaky gut is really the first step in treating it. And this is where functional medicine testing and doing a careful health history, medical history, evaluation of signs and symptoms is really important. It's essential that you go through this versus just relying on testing alone. So the 5R protocol, this is a kind of a stepwise fashion that is the 5R stages of gut healing. And it's not as simple as, you know, one, two, three, four, five in this order, you follow this phase and, you know, at the end you're healed. Each person might require different stages of this 5R protocol. Some patients that I work with have low immune function or nutrient deficiencies. And before even going in and, you know, removing something like candida, we have to support their immune function before we do that. So step one is remove, and removal can mean many different things. It can be removing candida or parasites, but it can also include removing certain foods, gluten, dairy, soy, eggs, sugar, caffeine, not all of these, but if a person has a sensitivity or if they're consuming a lot of refined sugars or lots of caffeine, these are common things that can be sensitivities but are very personalized to each individual. Alcohol, 100% removal. There's no benefit, only harm when it comes to leaky gut and other aspects of gut health. So we really tried to remove that as much as possible. Now, I'm absolutely not a hardcore stickler. My clients do sometimes indulge on the weekends and have a few drinks and they still go out and they're social and it's not the end of the world, but we, we do try to eliminate it as much as we can. And then of course, if we do things like mold, heavy metal testing, hormone testing, which is really all determined by their signs and symptoms, their health history, then we're going to want to make sure we prioritize those goals. Step two is to replace. So replacing any nutrients, things like vitamin D, iron, B12, these are all integral parts of immune function, gut health lining. If the person is low in zinc, for example, these are nutrients that you really need for a healthy gut. You also need protein. You need protein in your diet. So if I do a food record and I learn that this individual is vegetarian or they're just not eating much protein, um, those are things that we will want to address right off the bat. And then from stool testing, a lot of the times we can learn a lot about enzyme production, stomach acid, looking at overgrowth of bacteria that might indicate that digested, digestive function is poor. So we might add in certain things like betaine, HCL, we might add in digestive enzymes, but we really rely a little bit more on the testing and signs and symptoms for that. Step three is to re-inoculate. 
So as a dietitian, I always take a food first approach. So I'm looking at their three-day food record and I'm looking to see, is this a diet that is supporting a healthy gut microbiome? And what that includes is a diet that's rich in prebiotic-rich foods, things like onion, garlic, asparagus, artichokes, bananas, which of course are all personalized because if a patient also has SIBO, they're not going to tolerate a lot of those prebiotic-rich foods. But in general, most of us, for a healthy gut, we want those prebiotic foods, which include fiber-rich foods. So fiber is important for keeping the healthy bacteria there, and that's what supports our gut lining and immune function. So incorporating things like fruits and vegetables, whole grains. Fermented foods are also a great way to support the gut microbiome. Things like kimchi, miso, sauerkraut, kefir, These are all wonderful sources of fermented foods. They might not work for everybody. I have patients with SIBO or candida who find that they feel worse when they consume these foods. We might also incorporate probiotics and prebiotics in a supplement form to prevent colonization of pathogenic microbes, to regulate the immune function, these both really help to reduce the permeability of the gut lining. The introduction of probiotics, mostly the lactobacilli, have been shown in research to modulate the gut microbiota and decrease the reoccurrence of autoimmune diseases such as inflammatory bowel disease and type 1 diabetes. And then we have step four, which is repair. So you might be surprised to think that okay, this repair stage doesn't come right off the bat, right? So you don't just think, oh, I have a leaky gut and now I'm going to go in and just repair the gut lining. What should I eat to support the gut lining? As you can see, we've addressed a root cause. We've eliminated the reason why the gut became permeable in the first place. We've addressed diet, nutrient deficiencies. We've taken care of pathogens or mycotoxins. We've done all of that. And that's why the repair stage is stage four. So repairing damage to the gut lining, it takes time. It does not happen overnight, and this is why a lot of people fail. So it's long-term. We've removed the toxins, inflammatory foods. We've provided proper nutrients to the body. And then we start adding in certain things. Mucilaginous herbs are the first ones that I love. I like these in supplement and tea forms, things like licorice, licorice root, which has been shown to have anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties to help reduce inflammation and damage to the gut lining. It also contains compounds that may help to increase the production of mucus in the gut, which can also, of course, protect the gut from damage. Slippery elm. Slippery elm is a demulcent herb that is known for its soothing and protective effects on the gut lining. It also contains a type of soluble fiber that forms a gel-like substance when you mix it with water. Marshmallow is another demulcent, which is known for its soothing and protective effects on the gut lining. It contains a type of polysaccharide that can help to reduce inflammation in the gut and protect the gut lining from damage. In addition to those mucilaginous herbs, vitamin D is incredibly important for immune function, can help to reduce inflammation. It also helps to support the production of a protein called e which is important for maintaining the integrity of the gut lining. 
Omega-3 fats, they have an anti-inflammatory property that can reduce inflammation in the gut and promote a healthy gut barrier. They also help to promote the growth of beneficial bacteria in the gut. So I encourage this from a food perspective, but I also might um, have clients use it in supplement form as well, especially if they don't like high-fat fish. Zinc, carnosine, L-glutamine, Research supports the use of zinc, carnosine, and L-glutamine in increasing the rate of cell turnover and repair of the gut lining. And then we also have things like curcumin, which might help with inflammation, butyrate, which has been shown to help improve gut cell synthesis, inulin as a prebiotic supplement, and then digestive enzymes, hydrochloric acid if the patient has low stomach acid or poor absorption and digestive function. So these are all wonderful supplements that can be helpful when personalized appropriately, and they should definitely not be taken without the okay from your doctor. They can absolutely interfere with certain medications, and no supplement comes without any side effects. So we always want to make sure to keep that in mind when throwing these supplements into our bodies. We want to do this in a stepwise fashion with the help of a medical health practitioner. From a dietary standpoint, there are certain foods that I like to have clients prioritize. And the big overarching picture for foods to include, number one is easy to digest. So in other words, eating a bunch of raw foods is not ideal. And number two is diversity. So we really want to make sure that we're getting a lot of good variety, lots of nutrient-dense foods, trying to not be restrictive in any sort of macronutrient, for example. So some of the foods that I really like to have clients prioritize when they're going through this gut healing stage, number one is high-quality proteins, These proteins contain amino acids, which are incredibly important for supporting the integrity of the gut lining. I love incorporating collagen, bone broth, gelatin. These are all ingredients that you'll find in my gut healing cookbooks on my website. So the amino acid glutamine plays a crucial role in maintaining that intestinal lining, making glutamine-rich foods like bone broth great for gut healing. It's also a rich source of protein, which is, again, key for supporting the gut lining. If you have histamine issues, high levels of Klebsiella, Morganella, these are cases where things like collagen, bone broth might not be appropriate. So as always, there's a disclaimer where diet is very much individualized. Other high-quality proteins include things like wild-caught fish, grass-fed meats, things like organic chicken. These are all really great sources of protein. Zinc-rich foods, things like tahini and pumpkin seeds, beef, organic grass-fed beef, all great sources of dietary zinc. Zinc is essential for gut lining function. It's also essential for stomach acid production. So we really do want to include zinc-rich foods in the diet. Herbs and spices, ginger, turmeric, garlic, oregano, these have been shown in research to act as prebiotics and support inflammation in the gut. 
fats, extra virgin olive oil, avocado, coconut oil, or even medium chain triglycerides can be really easy for the gut to digest. And they also have antifungal properties helping to support H. pylori overgrowth. So lots of healthy fats in your diet. Definitely do not fear the fats when it comes to gut lining support. Dairy is a very controversial topic in the functional medicine field. I really try to encourage patients to keep as many foods in the diet as possible. And healing the gut can oftentimes allow for reintroduction of things like dairy that we may have taken out temporarily. Um, A2 dairy, so there's A1 casein and there's A2 casein. It's referring to the type of protein. So A2 dairy is a relatively new advancement in the shelves of our grocery store where we're now seeing these A2 dairy products for sale. A2 dairy can be easier to digest. Research shows that patients who have a tough time digesting the A1 protein do really well with A2. I've found the A2 kefir at my store and I've used it in smoothies and I find that I do tolerate it much better than a just regular organic grass-fed cow's milk. Um, Goat's milk might also be a better option if you do struggle to digest dairy, but just in general, when you're in the gut healing stage, if you have a hard time digesting dairy, you might try the alternative or just to temporarily do an elimination and reintroduction. When it comes to carbohydrates during a gut healing stage, incorporating sprouted soaked grains can be really helpful in terms of just aiding in the digestibility of these food products. I also love incorporating sweet potatoes, white potatoes, plantains, these awesome nutrient-dense carbohydrate sources. Gluten can cause health issues in some individuals with intolerances or sensitivity, Research has shown that gluten might be able to increase intestinal permeability in certain patients, but that's not the case for everybody. So we have to kind of take that on an individual case-by-case basis as well. So carbohydrates, healthy fats, high-quality proteins, and then diversity. So really making sure that we're incorporating organic fruits and vegetables that are cooked and easy to digest, Um, in order to get lots of polyphenols, fiber, and prebiotics into our diet. In terms of things to stay away from, we have touched on dairy. So dairy, uh, we touched on gluten. These are not an absolute no for everybody who is struggling with gut issues, but these are just among the top common food sensitivities. Um, including eggs and corn. So again, these are common food sensitivities, but a lot of these can actually go away when you heal leaky gut. This is something I experienced. I've seen so many clients be able to add things to their diet when they resolve underlying gut issues. Artificial sweeteners like erythritol, xylitol, things like acylfame potassium, These artificial sweeteners can have negative implications on the gut microbiome. So if you need something sweet, I would suggest doing a high-quality monk fruit, a high-quality stevia, or using some raw local honey. 
and then large amounts of refined sugars. So we know based on research that high amounts of sugar, refined sugars in the diet can cause inflammation in the digestive tract. And the last step in the 5R protocol is to rebalance. And when I focus on this stage, it really does not start at the end. It really starts at the beginning. And this is where we're talking about physical activity. Moderate intensity aerobic exercise has been shown to improve diversity of the microbiome and decrease inflammation. Um, Focusing on sleep, circadian rhythm disruption correlates with increased intestinal inflammation, gut imbalance, and permeability. So I have Clients focus on their sleep routine, reducing screen time, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, morning sunlight, avoiding strenuous activity one to two hours before bed, really taking care of themselves in every aspect of health, not just diet supplementation. So to wrap it up, leaky gut is a condition by which we need to not just repair the gut, but we need to focus on the root cause of why we got here in the first place. It incorporates lifestyle modification, natural supplements, functional medicine testing, and working with a medical practitioner, a dietitian, who can all support you in achieving long-term sustainable results. All of the recipes that are incorporated into my gut healing guide and rewire your sweet tooth incorporate things like tahini bone broth collagen pumpkin seeds for the reason that all of these foods are incredible for gut health so even if you don't have overt digestive symptoms using these as tools is a really great way to support your gut health which is vital to every aspect of your health You can find these books at nutritionrewired.com where you can also apply for my group coaching program. This is the last group coaching program that I'm going to do before I'm getting married. So if you want to join, it starts at the end of April. And I'm also taking one-on-one clients. If you are interested in going on my website, you can click the tab book and find the links to schedule. And you can also find functional lab testing on there as well. So thanks for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.
If you're interested in working one-on-one with me or Molly, who is the newest dietitian who I've hired as part of Nutrition Rewired, you can go to nutritionrewired.com or you can also apply for my group coaching program starting in April. Thanks again for tuning in and as always, don't forget to share the health.